We all have moments where we feel insecure. Without awareness, those moments of insecurity shape so much of our lives. Hi, I'm Chris McAllister, and I founded SightShift to help people like you and me, leaders and coaches, use the moments they feel insecure to transform their identity, their teams, and their culture. Listen in as I interview people around what it means to be the kind of leader who uses these moments to transform themselves. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. So glad you're here. The new format, you get to meet people that I'm so glad for you to be impacted by. And today I'm going to introduce you to Joel Ferno. Joel, so glad to have you here with me today, buddy. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Great to see you, man. Yeah. You too, man. We resisted the urge to catch up before we hit record, so we're going to do that some here. We'll do that some afterward also, because life has been busy these last few years. You've been uh, growing a family and growing a business. Just to give people a little bit of context, tell us a little bit about the company and what your vision is there as the CEO and where you want to lead this thing. Yeah. So I started a company pretty young at the age of 19. Uh, I started off as a valley parking company servicing restaurants and hotels here in Columbus, Ohio. Today we have around 800 employees. We're in 14 cities. Uh, 92% of our business is actually now with auto dealers. So whereas most hotels and restaurants use a third-party valet service to partner with and allow them to focus on their core business, we've applied that same approach to auto dealers so they can focus on selling and fixing cars. And our team comes in to manage all other parts of their business from greeting customers to moving cars to taking people home, washing cars, pulling cars up. And we also have the opportunity now to offer at-home delivery services to the market to where, you know, these days nobody wants to sit at a dealership and wait for two or three hours. So we're providing the man-out power and the uh, expertise to help dealers extend their services to offer direct-to-consumer service as well. The why we do it, though, is uh, most of our workforce are 17 to 24-year-olds um, who are going through the biggest mental health crisis our country's ever seen. And so our whole vision is about how do we help that workforce be their best and how do we scale our culture? You know, back in the day when we were just in Columbus, I could stop by all of our locations. I could be in every orientation. I knew every person by name and I had to let go of that to scale. And so the whole, the challenge within the challenge is how do you scale a, a workforce, up of you know that age group around right now we're in about 100 locations how do you maintain consistent cultures and the feeling of love across your entire organization and so that's what we're trying to scale not to sound too much of a hippie but how do we scale making our people feeling loved supported and cared for and we believe if we if we win in that in 10 years we could have five to seven thousand team members and that's the that's the vision that we're, we're pursuing i mean so what i gotta say is because we're going to get into some of the how of that for anybody that heard that and go is this guy for real like literally that's where i was going to go next when we first met and we're talking about leadership and your company, the number one passion you had at the moment, and you dove right into it, was basically helping people get better. How can we change their lives? How can we impact them? And it wasn't for you a situation of like, I'm just trying to grow a big business. I'm just trying to have my ego fulfilled in some way. No, no, no. I'm trying to impact. I'm trying to make a change. That's really inspiring, man. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but there was a shadow there of ego and the need for validation Ooh. and the deep-seated scarcity fears. So balancing that out and becoming aware of- Dude, yeah, becoming, take there. was there. always this altruistic portion and this desire to love people, but I had to become aware over the last three years as I started to do self-exploration and began my healing journey to realize there was a shadow there. And recognizing that a big part of my right rocket fuel 
that propelled this 19-year-old kid to building this company over the last 16 years was this deep-seated fear that, that I wasn't good enough, that I needed external validation to be good enough. And also this, this fear around scarcity, you know, I think which a lot of business leaders face. And so shedding light in those areas and healing that has given me a deeper fuel source, which is the bigger I go with my company. It's not just about my ego anymore. It's about we can love more people. We can have a bigger impact on people's lives. And hopefully the byproducts of that success inside our business can spill out into our communities. But that ego sneaky, you have to be aware of that. And I'm sure it's still in there somewhere as well. I don't think that will ever die completely, but I, I appreciate you bringing it up. And it's definitely a bothness and probably still is a bothness. Yeah. You know, this is like, dude, high fives all around because where we are going to go, we're like waiting in. You're like, no, no, no. I'm going to go ahead and jump off into the deep end right now. And I'm jumping in with you because this is like everything we're trying to help people go through, a transformation. And for you to embody the story that way, that even the most altruistic things can be cloaked in an insecure need that I've got to have my life have meaning. If it doesn't have impact, you know, what am I really worth? And so we can drive ourselves, just like you said, towards that. And what for you, and we're just getting into some practicals, we may go back to the high level and go back to practicals. What for you is something you would do on a daily basis maybe, or in, in just a, a simple afternoon that is a way to check in and go, okay, what's my motive right now? Am I trying to do this for what Joel gets out of it? Or is it an overflow of how I want to really impact people? Uh, great question, man. I, I've really worked on my meditation for the last three years and I had no comprehension for that. Began working with a coach and, uh, and as I mentioned, began my healing journey about three years ago. And a big part of that was meditating and realizing very little of my life I actually spent here in this moment. I was always thinking about the future, beating myself up about the past. So my meditation practice has helped me become more aware of my thoughts and thought patterns and thought loops and the ability to pause before reacting, the ability to pull myself back to now as I'm beating myself up about something. If I'm questioning my own integrity, it will just take a step back and really check in with that and pause. Um, so the, the, the work on the cushion every morning has allowed me to maintain that meditation practice, to come back to that meditation practice whenever I realize that I'm deep in a rabbit hole in my own mind yeah. around these topics. Yeah. And how easy it is to get deep in that rabbit hole and we're pushing out our leadership from that insecurity. I think one of the things that I'd love for you to comment on is if you're in a room full of CEOs and people are carrying themselves with a lot of aggrandized confidence, a lot of people would look at that and think, oh my goodness, they're so confident. Maybe even hate them or judge them because they're so confident. But what do you know is really happening on the inside? I'm really glad you brought that point up because I think I fell and I think all of us as men kind of fall in that trap of idolizing people that embody traits that we wish we were or that we would define as worthiness. And for me, that was, like you mentioned, the person who's got everything together externally. Uh, what I've realized is that's just a bandaid or a mask around a, a deeper wound. You know, we've all, all got things below the surface. And actually what's interesting is as I've, I've operated in several CEO groups uh, here in Columbus that are part of global organizations, and as I've uh, moved into groups that required higher and higher um, revenue thresholds to, to participate is the more humility I found. The guys running two, three, four, five hundred million dollar businesses are the, some of the most humble people I've ever met. Uh, so it seems like, I don't know, it's been interesting to let go of, of maybe the younger versions me view of what a successful CEO looked like. And instead the, the guys I'm around who are really the hitters are the most humble, down to earth, self-aware, introspective, and, and, and have really, I think, climbed to those levels because of their, their humility and letting go of their own sense of pride. Dude, 
We, I mean, I love that. You're taking us right into the controversial take that is something, well, the people that I've coached that have the most responsibility, I, you know, and we work with people anywhere from 10 million to Fortune 100, some two and three million. One guy who was responsible, 40 billion, probably one of the humblest people I've ever met, ever. And like not feigned, not performative humility, right? But in this raw place of, yeah, no pretense, no pretense, no premium honey. That's something that people would hear unless they're in some of those spaces that they would go, wait a second. That doesn't fit kind of the media caricature stereotype. Isn't what we're doing all just judging each other, right? When we're having those viewpoints, what, as you've kind of had some of that thinking broken down, what do you do now that really helps you from judging others, whether it's somebody you're leading at your company, some of these people you're relating to, maybe some of your employees who are having a hard time? Yeah, uh, I think becoming more aware of the judgment as it occurs. I don't think we could ever transcend judging people. I think that's wired pretty deeply into our DNA. But becoming more aware of it, not shaming it, just bringing it to the light, letting it go and coming back to equanimity with the person. Read a really good book. This title is escaping me. We'll be able to provide in the show notes. But it talks about how we typically operate in life, either being one up or one down with people that we meet. We are either above them or below them. And so catching myself saying, oh, that person is better than me because of this, or I'm better than that person because of this catching that and coming back now to here and now, present, person to person. And the concept that's uh, a little deeper, but the idea I've really been spending a lot of time in prayer and meditation is around is there's nothing I can do or not do to be any more or less worthy. If that's true for me, it's true for everybody. But naturally as humans, we're, we're hierarchical and uh, we've probably survived a lot of ways by, by having to operate with this judgment. And I think we're at a place in our society where it's hard to let go and transcend that. Yeah, beautiful. I've found over the years this meditation around, I don't have to earn my worth. I don't have to achieve my worth. It's it's refined in these last four or five months, not different, just, just a different expression because the season I'm in, I don't have to fight for my dignity, right? I don't have to protect my dignity. I possess it within. And it's so easy to put that into our business and our leadership, right? How are you taking this passion? And we're going to get into this critical area you're serving. You, you led off with it. 70%, I think now of Gen Z admits to struggling with mental health, right? This is right where my kids are, 2018 and 17. So we see it in their lives, their friends. How are you taking this big vision and big heart you have and putting it into uh, something that these team members can track with, relate to, and be transformed by? So two things. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was the humility to say, I don't know. I don't know how to solve this problem. But to continue to communicate that vision to our leadership team and keep everyone focused on that's what we're here to do. Even if we never solve it, we're, the whole point is being on the mastery path to trying to do so. Um, that attempting to do it is just as important as actually solving it. The other thing that's been important is just vulnerability. Uh, we have a weekly fireside chat that every team member is invited to log on to. It's a half an hour call every Tuesday at 4 p.m. And uh, I use the platform to be vulnerable and to share topics with them of things, struggles I'm having in my own life and inviting vulnerability uh, on that call. We had a call a couple of weeks ago before uh, Thanksgiving about gratitude, the, th the three levels of gratitude, I call it, do it every single year. And uh, one of our HR folks uh, shared about her journey to work with a therapist using an employee benefit that we offered. And so nevertheless, we realized we didn't talk about the fact that we have that available to our team. So she shared her story of therapy and how transformative that is, which then gave me permission to share my story in front of 
in front of our entire company. So I think vulnerability from a leadership perspective is scary. I think in some organizations and maybe corporate America, uh, that could be viewed as a weakness or taken advantage of, but uh, it's something that uh, I think is is very powerful and can lead to better conversations. A couple other things tactically we do, uh, we, we selected a scheduling platform for our team. Scheduling and time management is such a big thing for our, our, our company, but our team cannot clock out until they ask, and until they, until they tell us, how are you feeling one to five? And would you like to be contacted by somebody on our support team? And do you have any feedback for us? So we're able to survey our team. I need like something to drop right now and make loud noises of celebration. <laughs> I, I need you to state that one more time. They can't clock out until they do what? This is amazing. They tell us how they're feeling out of five. Okay. If they'd like to be contacted by somebody from our support team. Credible. Just a open feedback. Yeah. So, the scheduling platform allows us to have custom fields. And I don't think we're capturing the most meaningful data off of that. I've been surveying all of my CEO friends. What's If you could ask your team one question, what would it be? So we're still playing around with this technology, but now how do we make meaningful data out of this? But to, for our team to say, yes, I'd like to be contacted and getting a text from our, our HR team, even if they accidentally clicked yes, still feels really good that somebody actually cares enough to reach out to them. And I want to share this with humility that even despite this being our focus, even the fact that I was the number six CEO on Glassdoor last year, we still have 240% turnover with our frontline staff, which is tough. And, you know, it, it's hard to, hard to know what is of that is just the times that we live in and what are things that we're not doing well within our culture. So that's been a challenge to try to reconcile what some of that data means that, that drives me crazy, yeah. but where the truth really is. Yeah. Well, and part of it, obviously, listeners smart enough to get this, the industry you're in, the job transitions they're in at that phase. But I want to go back to something you said earlier. It's like, we don't have to master this problem to seek to attempt to work on it continually. We don't have to perfectly solve it to still say we should meaningfully try to advance on this. Because I think about that, like if I could solve one problem, be the insecurity of leaders. Okay, well, that is not a solvable problem in my lifetime. Well, what if I try? <laughs> you know, it activates the best of me and puts me in a place that I'm advancing and moving forward on that. So thank Thank you for the humility on that. I think we understand it. What for you, and obviously you can't share anything specific about your employees or team members, but generally speaking, what have been a couple of things that they've asked for help on that just emotionally stick with you and reverberate with your mission? Well, one thing that was placed on my heart uh, about six months ago was to start a uh, prayer group. Prayer is a newer thing that's been incorporated in my life. Over the last few years, I had a kind of a difficult experience with organized religion, which caused me to kind of go the extreme other side of that coin. And now over the last two or three years, I've been reintegrating spirituality and faith into my life. And so it was placed in my heart to uh, start a prayer group with our company. And within a couple of weeks, our team suggested to offer, had an idea to offer a, uh, a prayer request form to our whole company every single Friday. Wow. And then we pray over that on Mondays. And the things that our team members, specifically folks on our very front line who are making, you know, $15, $16 an hour, the maximum we're able to pay them and still not have our clients throw us out has been, I mean, it leaves me in tears almost every single week from deaths in their family to illnesses, uh, to financial struggles. And so... It's been very um, eye-opening to see the level yeah. of uh, challenge that our people are up against and try to encourage our team that performance issues are just a symptom of issues you have no idea where people are going through behind the scenes. Oh, man. No idea. So uh, yeah, there's been some really hubby stuff that people aren't even asking for money for. They're just asking for us to pray over them. And that's been incredibly humbling. Such a great reminder. Yeah. Wow, dude. You're like rocking my heart and mind here. What would you say to leaders that are listening to this, business owners, team leaders, that would be afraid to bring some kind of vulnerability into their practice. Maybe they can't be as bold as you're being with it, but they're just afraid to take the next step. I would say there's probably at least one person in your organization that could be you can be vulnerable with. 
I was afraid to bring up this idea for a prayer group inside of our company. I had all these narratives coming along of fear of being judged for that or people thinking it was a bad idea. So I pulled a few people aside, even in the level of vulnerability I've gotten comfortable with. I picked one or two people to share this idea with and ask for their help to help integrate it. And that was able to give me courage that they grabbed onto the idea and they helped me champion it. It wasn't me doing it by myself. And so trying to lone wolf these things, uh, something I still struggle with. I'll go out and be in my CEO groups and hear amazing ideas of things other guys are doing and gals within their companies and, you know, come running back to our leadership meeting with this bright new idea, but trying to include other people into that, bring them with me. And then that seems to have a, a uh, residual impact. So I would encourage the leader, they don't have to do it by themselves, just try one or two people they can pull in with and create that Navy SEAL team that you can start to, to drive those things with. Oh, thank you so much. If you could speak personally to leaders that are carrying the complexity of leading their organizations, caring for their team, to bring this extra level that you're bringing to impacting their company and their team members and their employees this way, when life feels very full and overwhelming, you're speaking from the heart and I love that. I don't want to take us out of that space. But if you added a layer of just the business case for it, the business intelligence even if it was a waste, we'd still do it because it's the right thing. And I know that's your heart. But how do you talk about this when you talk about it with people from, from a standpoint of going, this is why it makes business sense to lead this way? The companies who will win uh, will win on culture. And in today's labor, in today's transparency with Glassdoor and every job board having very visible feedback from team members that work there, culture 20 years ago of throwing your values on a wall and doing an annual meeting around that is not going to cut it anymore. This workforce coming into the, the labor market at the ages we've talked about are demanding authenticity. And the companies who figure out how to adapt to this new environment that people are expecting are the companies that are, gonna, are going to win. I still think the statement is true. It was definitely tr true 12 months ago, but it's literally easier in the first time in history, it's easier to generate revenue than it is to hire and maintain a, a great staff in a lot of ways for many companies. So I, I feel very strongly that all these items that go into a, a healthy culture is what's going to be demanded by this next generation coming up. And you don't have a choice if you want to win. Dude, I mean, it's so weird in a cool way to hear you talking through this and see this lived experience at home with my kids, right? Because they're in these ages and they have these jobs. And for them, how much they care about who their boss is and what the culture's like. Like I, they're thinking about things when I was 18, 19, 20 and had those jobs, I wasn't like, man, the guys that I'm shoveling concrete with are jerks. But it was, you know, well, one of my daughters is a lifeguard, okay? And they're on a lifeguard shortage. So they have to shut the pool down sometimes. They, don't have, they can't find enough lifeguards. They've got to have everyone they've got. And how different it is between one supervisor to the one she has now and how much she's more willing to take on extra shifts because she likes the supervisor. So yeah, what a defendable statement in at least the micro reality of my world, but what a provocative statement. It's, it's easier to grow your revenue than it is to... It's easier to, to acquire revenue than it is to acquire and maintain a great team. I love that. Yeah, easier to acquire a customer than acquire and maintain and lead a great team. And that is, that's a powerful statement, man. That is so on point for this era and what's developing. What for you, you know, you lay your head on the pillow at night and you're like, okay, this is where I really want to work on growing next. I hear the vision for the company. I hear staying in this place of developing humility and gratitude. Anything else show up for you as as Joel is becoming. Yeah, I catch myself before I go to bed 
to having these big, big visions that can carry into my dreams. And I'm trying to practice even in my sleep, coming back to the present moment and letting myself really just be here now. My not, my mind never stops uh, moving. I can sh I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to that. And uh, it's a giant blessing. I I'm really grateful for my brain. And it's the fact that it's always trying to problem solve. But in the moment and when I'm going to bed, there's no problems to solve and trusting that things will unfold as they're supposed to. In addition to that, something that I'm really passionate about that's emerging is there's a lot, there's a really interesting intersection right now between spirituality, neuroscience, emerging therapies. I think we can all agree that the traditional pharmaceutical approach and our, our society's approach to mental health and healing is not working. Addiction rates are on the rise, suicides on the rise, spiritual disconnection, and as you mentioned, you know, stats around loneliness and unhappiness and things like that. And there's some really interesting emerging therapies coming out that um, that business leaders are, are getting access to and are also looking to share with their teams. And so how our country embraces these new technologies, these new medicines, these new forms of treatment is something that I'm, I'm really, really interested in seeing unfold yeah. and hopefully playing a role in some way. Yeah, I know you're passionate about that. You know. Oh, one of our guests a few episodes back shared a similar, for them, it was more from a personal standpoint in, in transformation. And yeah, I know that that for you is something that you've got a passion for. And it's exciting time, right? Because we're rethinking so many of our paradigms. We're willing to go back to the drawing board and say, what if there are ways that we don't have to suffer the way that we are? And I think probably the wildest way I've seen this happen, you know, in my world, not only the business leaders that are talking about it, but even the business propositions, right? As far as like somebody a little bit back ago was like, hey, we should go do this business together. And she's proven in her field. And I know she wants to make that impact. And so I'm seeing people's wheels turn. And that's it's an exciting thing. And I know you want to make an impact there too. What would you say to just like the general listener that's very scared right now. Uh, there's so much change in the world. All of this stuff that's happening that seems to divide us into two camps over and over, even with this issue, right? People can be ideologically committed. Uh, what would you say to them just to help them get a sense of how to calm down and, and how to lock in on something and know it's going to be okay? I know that's a big request, dude. You've just like blistered the road of this show with so much authenticity already that I thought, hey, let's see. Let's see what shows up. What I've realized is the closer I can get to right now and the present moment, the happier I am, the farther out I go, even a week, a month, three months, six months into the future, there's so much uncertainty out there that I can see how that can be paralyzing and scary. And I fall into that as well. I have no idea what our economy is going to look like in six months. I'm an internal optimist and I like to think that our collective consciousness is rising versus what I was raised to believe that we're heading towards the end of times and that the world is doomed. I think that we're actually, if we looked at society a hundred years ago, 300, 500 years ago versus where we're at today, I just think there's more transparency on, on what's going on within our collective society. And that transparency of our shadow is very painful to look at, to see the deep rooted connect that people have I feel like that's the first step to healing it and for us to to come back to find find a path forward and i believe i don't believe the narrative in the media that we're that there's a huge disconnect i think that i believe that there's 70 percent of the population that are very much in the middle and very much aligned on it's like the rational middle is like 70 percent, and you have these extreme sides on both sides but if a politician or a party is willing to lean into the middle against all the stats that are out there i believe that there will be a a huge emergence and a rallying around that to look at issues objectively and fairly and with open minds and trying to find a middle path that wins bipartisan support. Dude, right on.
I mean, I can't think of one leader that we work with that is ideologically bent in either direction to the extreme. It's all exactly what you're saying. And you've used this word shadow. And and for those listening, you know, Carl Jung did a lot of work on this idea. And, and you can see it in a lot of different societies. The ego, the old self Paul talks about in the New Testament, the false self, different writers. But Jung had this statement that I loved. He said, uh, and I'm going to mess this up. I'm paraphrasing. But basically, nations get the leaders they need to draw out the shadow. Does it mean we're going to do the work collectively? Man. And I see that playing out over the last few years. And I see what's, you know, fomenting, if you will, at these edges and and what media does to stir all that up. I'm hopeful with you. It's an informed optimism based on, you know, I think what I experience and what you experience. But what a great reminder for us. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And the other thing around that is... That is coming from, I read two news publications a day. I read the Morning Brew, which is an aggregate that I feel is very neutral. And I read the journal just to keep up on things because I don't want to bury my head in the sand. But I don't watch, we don't have any news playing in our house. Limit social media. And the more time I spend in reality, I travel almost weekly to another city. I'm talking with people at the airport, sitting next to the person on the plane, getting my rental car, talking to the person at the gas station. Most people, 99% of the population are very nice and kind. This idea that this that I feel like the media portrayed is not really indicative of the reality that I experienced personally. Dude, thank you. I mean, I'm the same. Like last week was in airport, Florida, rental car, whatever, and amazing experiences with great humans. None of it was anything like what people would want me to believe. And even the company that we're kicking off there with, I mean, just fantastic human beings. There's a lot of great people out there. There's a saying that is such a huge general aphorism. I think it gets dismissed a lot, but you get what you look for in life, right? If you want to go find the evidence for something, you can find it. It's there. And man, you seem to have really locked in on looking for a way to find gratitude in the present and to find a way to impact people beyond we're giving you a job, we're changing your life. And and then you've done the deep work of making peace with your own shadow in that. And so what a joy to share in these moments with you. Joel, I will say that there's a lot of people I've interacted with over the years, and I think each of them have their own uniqueness. But I love there's a tenacity with who you are to get to the truth, to try to figure it out, to find it, the authenticity of the moment, the vulnerability, whatever that looks like. And you've brought that here today, man. For those that are on the path doing the work and uh, seeing their lives transformed, though some of them will have been to figure that shift out, done some of the work at Sight Shift. What for you still stands out from that that people may listen to and just be encouraged in their own journeys to stay on the path? Yeah, man, I've got two thoughts on that. One from a content perspective, but I'll start with the second first which is you sitting in my office and holding space for me when I was going through a very challenging transition. We got through a decent amount of content, but just the the unconditional love and presence that you provide me with in those moments played a profound impact in my life. So thank you for just being there. And I would encourage any leader to work with you no matter where they're at in their journey. What, from a content perspective, what stood out to me and was also uh, deeply inf- impactful to our team when you came in to share this in front of maybe 40 or 50 of our, our folks at a conference we held uh, was the uh, the identity fears, becoming aware of those early identity fears and the fact that it's a lie. Those That voice that tells us we suck, we're unworthy, we're headed towards a bad result. You're teaching around how to flip that. I think that's such a great entry point into this path, into this work and becoming more uh, self-aware of some of those things and how that those fears can show up and be projected into our marriages and our relationships and our business. Dude, man, what a, what a treat to hear that. 
reflected back, super encouraging. And, uh, you know, I think it's cool to say, I don't want to give all the details for the listeners, but the way that you, you stood in a space and drew vulnerability out of me in a way that doesn't happen very often is something that I will never forget. Can't wait to get this episode on. Let some ears just really get challenged to step in the next vulnerable step. Any last thoughts you'd love to leave people with and any place you'd like them to go if you want to point them anywhere before we sign off? Yeah, I appreciate the the compliments you offered uh, in the last few statements, but I just want to say it's a daily battle. I mean, I have to get up early. I have to push myself to have exposure to things that are comfortable, like a cold shower or a cold plunge. Have to push myself to get to the yoga mat. Have to push myself to get to the gym, which I don't do a great job of. And uh, I would say the path for me over the last three years as I started taking this work seriously has not been linear at all. And it never is going to stop. <laughs> so there's been a bunch of stumbling and falling down, uh, falling down the mountain and having to climb back up. And it hasn't always been pretty or heroic. So I just wanted to make sure we caveated, you know, some of the beautiful things you said, which are true with also the fact that the reality that's, that's, it's still a challenge. Yeah. It's messily lived out for all of us. Right on, right on. <laughs> yeah. Unforeseen. Joel, thank you, my friend, for being here. Thank you everyone for uh, being here and being impacted by Joel's story. What a treat, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. You know that self-leadership is difficult. And as you listened, if you found within yourself a desire for more awareness for yourself, your team, or your culture, or the people that you would guide as a coach, you can find more at SightShift.com, S-I-G-H-T Shift.com to take the next step.